Hi, this is Ben. Uh, I just want to remind you before we begin this episode that you can still secure a place in the Michelangelo screenwriting program um, in Italy. And if you are a uh, screenwriter or television writer or comic book writer or really any kind of writer, this is really a fantastic opportunity uh, to come to Italy for a lot cheaper than you usually would, uh, stay in a beautiful spot in Orvieto, Italy, and uh, hang out and workshop your scripts with me and my writing partner uh, and a whole group of people and uh, come out with something really awesome after two weeks. Uh, There's also a one-week intensive course. Um, But we promise you'll have a great showable script uh, that you can bring to an agent or manager or network or whatever you want to do. So check out michelangelo-screenwriting.com. Uh, the program is this July, uh, or June rather, and runs right to the beginning of July. And, uh, but you have to sign up now or else it's not going to happen. Uh, and we have a bunch of signups. We just need a couple more. So join michelangeloscreenwriting.com. Uh, it should be awesome. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, and I'm going to hopefully workshop some of my own stuff as is Acker and some of the stuff that we're doing together. Uh, so it's, it should be a really fun and an instructive opportunity. MichaelangeloScreenwriting.com. Now, enjoy this very fun interview that I did with Robert Kirkman. Enjoy. Now entering Nerdist.com. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel on the Nerdist Podcast Channel. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Writers talking writing can get pretty exciting. The talk can be lightning. It's very, very frightening. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Welcome to the Nerdist Writers Panel series, an informal chat about writing and the business and process of writing. Each and every panel benefits A26LA, the national nonprofit tutoring program. For more information on A26LA, visit A26LA.org. I'm your moderator, Ben Blacker. Follow me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker. I'm the co-creator of the Thrilling Adventure Hour stage program in the style of old-time radio, available as a podcast on iTunes and via Nerdist.com. Uh, I've written for the series Super Ninjas and Supernatural. Please welcome our one and only guest for tonight. We're thrilled to have him here, Robert Kirkman. Oh, I will. Hello. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It's, you've, really, you've been on the wish list for a long time. Um, what I said to them earlier is false. Uh, I've been trying to get you forever. Uh, so thank you. I'm glad we have the time. Now, here's the thing. We're going to start with the most pressing issue. And I walked up here, and um, uh, Gaston had kind of set the stage here. Uh, and I had never seen action figures, uh, Walking Dead action figures, this is Where have uh, you been? Michonne. <laughs> so these Walking Dead action figures, this is wild. Uh, when you first started writing comics, not even The Walking Dead, but writing comics, did you ever think, 
Yes, action figures, an empire. This is this is where things are headed. Uh, no, no, no. This is uh, uh, extremely strange. I never expected it to get like this at all. Uh, I I was uh, I was not convinced I would ever actually make a living at it. So uh, uh, things were very iffy for me for a very long time. So to go from that and then to be at this point where there's you know action figures and lunch boxes and underoos and uh, cereal. Uh, what is what is the strangest product you have? I seen? wish there was Walking Dead cereal. That would be awesome. <laughs> Because we can all imagine what it would be. Uh, the strangest <laughs> product, I don't know. It's all pretty standard stuff. Uh, you know, there's board games. I, I don't know. It's kind of ridiculous. I mean, the, the toys are in Target and, like, Walmart and stuff, and that's kind of weird to me because it's like, oh, here's your Ben 10 action figure. Here's the dude with his guts hanging out. Um, but I'll take it. I mean, no, whatever. Amazing. I, I do uh, – I have talked about it before, but, like, I, I do turn things down. I like to think I have some integrity. I was going to um, ask about this. So but, does uh, everything go through you? Uh, there's there's like an AMC side of licensing and then a you know Skybound side and I have more control over the Skybound stuff but uh, AMC is pretty good at making sure there's not you know toy guns that are going to take your eye out or anything like that but I did get offered Walking Dead perfume and that's where I was like that's where I'm drawing the line I'm not gonna yeah I don't know what that is is it just is it is it perfume that smells bad like. Would you like to smell like a dead body? Get the Walking Dead perfume. It wards off zombies. Yeah, I'm not. That's insane. Uh, yeah, and I don't get it. Um, uh, no, that's that's really cool. I mean, you know, let, let's talk for a minute about Skybound. Um, I don't know a lot about it, but I know a lot of people who are uh, working for you these days, or at least writing under the Skybound banner. Uh, how do, tell me about how Skybound came to be, and you know, you're you're not a guy who's writing uh, Superman. You no. know, you've always kind of been an independent comics guy. Um, did it grow out of that? Yeah, I mean, Skybound to me, I'm partnered at Image Comics, and so I get to have my own little wing of Image Comics where I get to do whatever I want to do and mistreat people mm-hmm. and rule with an iron fist and control my books, so it's a lot of fun. But uh, Skybound, to a certain extent, is... Is he talking? You want me to make him leave? We'll give him three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, Skybound to me is kind of something that I would have liked very early on in my career. When I was doing Battle Pope, I was doing everything by myself, and it was uh, a bit of a hassle, and uh, it was a lot of work, and it was hard getting the word out there and stuff like that. So I like having a company where I can, you know, find books like Witch Doctor and say, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, use whoever's paying attention to The Walking Dead to try and get them to pay attention to your book as well, and just to kind of, uh, you know, find books and, you know, get them, get them wider recognition and, and, uh, and also, uh, you know, work with with people that I like and be able to say, oh, I like your writing. Uh, I, I have this idea, or do you have any ideas? Let's let's do a book together and, you know, that kind of stuff. That's so, right. It's a lot of and fun. So do you work in any kind of editorial capacity on these books, or do you just kind of find these people? And, and I try to be as hands-off as possible when it comes to something like Witch Doctor. Uh, Which you know, I think is a great example, and in fact, I discovered it through... Hey, if you like Walking Dead, you're going to like this, and it's a great book. It's it really is fun. a fantastic series, and I mean, working with editors because I did do like four years at Marvel. I, I know that like I didn't get a lot of story editing. You know, a lot of that stuff was scheduling, and there are certain parameters that you have to work in. But people that actually come in and tell you, "Oh, it'd be really cool if this guy did this instead," like that stuff is really annoying, and uh, uh, I never really enjoyed that part of it. Um, so, you know, at Skybound, I really like just kind of backing off and saying, you know. 
put this on your cover. People might like that. I, I, I wouldn't, uh, you know, do this. That might be unappealing. Like, there's just little, like, things where I'm like, ah, you know, this might be a little better. But when it comes to, like, the actual story and the writing on things like that, like, Brandon is, you know, running wild and doing whatever he wants, and that's the way I prefer it. They're still kind of doing it the way they did it before coming exactly. into the banner. That's yeah. interesting. Is there a Skybound brand? Is there a certain thing that you look for uh, that you yeah. respond to? Originality, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, I, I I don't think that there's any kind of through line. I mean, we do Super Dinosaur, we do Witch Doctor, we do Thief of Thieves. I mean, we have horror, we have kid stuff, we have crime stuff. Um, you know, we have superhero books. Uh, I just think that you know, it's got to provide the audience with something that they're not really getting in other places. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, it just needs to be something original. I like the fact that there isn't a Skybound, you know type of book, that it is a whole wide range of different things, and, you know, as long as it seems like new ideas, I mean, that's kind of what I'm after. Interesting. How does, how does the Image Collective work? I know very little. I mean, I was in the heyday of reading comics when they formed, mm-hmm. uh, and it seems like a lot has changed over those years, and obviously it's still all creator-owned stuff, but how do you guys all work together? Uh, you know, it's, it's a, that's a complicated... <laughs> I, I like to say that Image is one of the most important things that has ever happened in the comic book industry. Um, it's a really unique company in that I should look at the audience every now and then. While I'm up here. Um, it's a really, it's a really important. Uh, um, but no, uh, um, it was you know seven guys that left Marvel and said, "Hey, uh, what comic book company would we like to work for if we could?" build a comic book company from the ground up. And what they did is they built Image Comics, which was a comic book company designed specifically for their needs. You know, uh, Image Comics doesn't uh, turn a profit. It, it holds back just enough money to keep the lights on in the office, and uh, all of the money goes back to the creators. And by creating a comic book company that would be ideal for them. They really created the comic book company that's ideal for all creators. Um, and it, it's it's kind of a, a strange thing because when you're uh, when you're coming up and you're you know very you know new to the industry and you get into Image Comics, you uh, are kind of like you know they 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 offer you like everything that you need to get into the industry. They they you know give you a leg up. You're, you're you know shoulder to shoulder with other big books, and that's kind of a really cool thing. Uh, but then at the same time, if you have, like, built a huge name for yourself, like someone like Brian K. Vaughn, you can take your name value and do a thing like Saga, where Brian and Fiona Staples are trem- uh, benefiting tremendously from, from doing that book. And Image Comics, you know, gets the cachet of having a big, important book that everybody's talking about. But, uh, you know, the lion's share of all that money is going to them. And uh, I, think, I think it's a really remarkable thing that, uh, you know, those, those Image founders uh, should get more credit for. Yeah, I mean, it seems like the kind of thing that TV has kind of gone through in the past couple of years where you had the big studios or networks, but then these cable outlets started popping up and saying, you know, we can do quality stuff, and it can be creator-driven or it can be writer-director-driven. Um, how did you get involved in Image in the first place? Uh, I just started submitting books to them, really. Um, and just, got, and just original books? Yeah, I, I, I self-published my first book, Battle Pope, but before I did that, I submitted it to the Image and got turned down. Um, and then uh, uh, over the course of doing that series, uh, I got 
Eric Larson's phone number because a friend of mine was doing, uh, he was putting together a website and he was doing a bunch of interviews and the website never actually took off, but he did a bunch of interviews that never went anywhere and he had one scheduled with Eric Larson that I found out about. And so I said, hey, uh, so I'm doing that interview for you. Uh, and he was like, all right, that's fine, whatever. So uh, uh, I actually uh, I, I did an interview with Eric Larson that went like two hours um, that I wish I still had the recording for because I'm sure it would be completely embarrassing. <laughs> but uh, I just talked to him about Savage Dragon and stuff, and then at the end of the call, I was like, hey, I do this book called Battle Pope. I'd like to send it to you or whatever, and I ended up sending it to him. And then because I had his phone number and because the interview went so long because, you know, we were chatting and having a good time, and I'm a funny guy. I mean, he enjoyed talking to me, whatever. Um, you but, turned it on for him. I, I did my best. So uh, I would basically, like, mark on a calendar, hey, I talked to him on this date. And then I'd be like, ah, two or three weeks went by. It's not going to be weird if I call him now. And so I would call him and just, you know, talk to him about nonsense and comics and stuff like that. And I would just, like, force myself to call him every now and then so that he would get to know me. It was uh, sure, it was before Facebook. Yeah, pretty you much. couldn't be on his radar in that way. Yeah, it was way before that stuff. I'm old. <laughs> But uh, uh, but yeah, so uh, then I eventually you know was able to show him stuff that I wanted to do that wasn't Battle Pope, and uh, that eventually got him to offer me a, a Super Patriot miniseries that I did. And then once I did that, I had a, a, a more of an in with Image, and I started pitching other things to them like Tech Jacket, Invincible, and The Walking Dead. Uh, was Invincible sort of the first big thing? I mean, big in that it's still going on too. Uh, the first the first big thing that hit under their banner for you? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, Tech Jacket actually sold better than Invincible at the beginning, which is kind of odd, but uh, I think Invincible kind of held its sales a little bit better, so it was the first thing that actually seemed to have longevity. Uh, it also seems like, I mean, as, as a way of discovering your work, probably for a lot of people after Tech Jacket, which was limited, right? Yeah, it ended up being six issues. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's, it's such a great way into your work in that it has a lot of the things we expect from a Robert Kirkman comic, which is these fully realized characters, yeah, what is fully that? realized world. I'm glad you asked. Uh, well, I was going to ask you, what do you think that is? But certainly it's the characters. No clue. It's a world where you can uh, go to many different places uh, and explore different corners of it. You know, it is, like I say, fully realized. Um, talk to us a little bit about Invincible. It's, it's so much fun. I, it's so enjoyable. I admit I am not up to date with it. But I understand it gets very dark. Well, last issue, uh, this guy died. Yeah, start at the and, end. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. Tell us where it came uh, from and, you know, uh, how long have you had this idea kicking around? It's pretty strange. Uh, a lot of people say, like, oh, well, you know, I had this idea that I really wanted to do for 10 years. Uh, Invincible is not that. Um, while uh, Corey Walker and I were doing the Super Patriot miniseries, which is the first thing I ever did at Image, uh, Eric Stevenson, who's the publisher at Image now but was the marketing director then, uh, told me that he and Jim Valentino, the current publisher, were trying to put together a new line of superhero books. And uh, they had decided that Image had gotten too far away from, you know, superheroes and that, you know, that's very popular in comics, so they wanted to get a bunch of people and do like five new superhero books. And they had a slot open, and uh, Corey Walker and I were planning on doing uh, Science Dog after Super Patriot. Uh, but because they were doing the superhero line, I went to Corey and was like, let's create a new superhero for this line. And uh, we basically just sat down and started talking about, you know, superhero comics and the kind of stuff that we liked. And I just thought about, you know, everything that I like about superhero comics and, and decided to put it all in one book. And I don't know. I mean, it was, it was kind of a, a fun challenge to know that a publisher was looking for a superhero book and to create a superhero book just for that slot. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, it was 
was it was created just to kind of you know get into that uh, into that loop. Which it, that's fascinating because it feels like, especially reading those first you know twenty issues or however that long that first kind of big chunk of story is. Uh, it feels like there's so much love behind this, and it feels like it's. It does well, feel like tons of love behind well, it. Well, this I is mean, what I'm yeah. going to ask you. You know, it feels like the kind of thing that someone would say. I've been wanting to tell the story for a long time, but to know that you were given these parameters and well, it was the kind of that. book that I had wanted to do oh. my entire life. In I, what mean, way? Uh, I mean, I mean, I started reading comics in like 1990. Uh, you know, somewhat late, I think. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was reading, you know, David Michelinie's Spider-Man and, you know, Chris Claremont's X-Men and Peter David's Hulk. And it was all just, you know, big, sprawling, you know, superhero stories, things that had uh, a lot of weight to them. You know, there were years of, you know, history and there was a lot of subplots and, and a lot of cool stuff like that. And so I'd always wanted to do a long-running superhero story that, you know, had, uh, you know, a subplot that started in issue 8 and then you saw a little bit more of it in issue 12 and then by issue 16, you were like, oh, I forgot that thing. But, oh, there's another little tidbit. And then it actually spirals into something. And it's like, wait a minute. I've been reading this book for 10 issues. And this has been kind of peppered in. And now it's kind of coming to the forefront. And I just like that kind of storytelling. So, uh, I don't know. And I think that is, I mean, we see that in Walking Dead also. And we think we see it in some of the other stuff, too. Um, I'm curious about the breaking of those stories. And, you know, we can talk about Invincible or as it applies to Walking Dead. Sure. Which, you know, both are so so long-running. Uh how do you sit down to Wait break? till these guys completely fall asleep before we talk about Walking Dead. <laughs> All right, that's fair. Uh, how do you sit down to break that story? Is it in your head? Do you have, you know, documents... Uh yeah, uh, <laughs> a little bit. Uh, most of it is kept in my head, uh, which is a little strange, I think. I, I like to say that I forget more good stories than I ever write down, which is really frustrating. I should write these things down. Um, because I say that as a joke, and it is kind of true. There have been times where I've sat down to like write something down that I thought of a couple days ago, and I'm like, I lost it. I have no clue what that was. Um, but uh, I used to keep a, uh, a file on my computer uh, for Invincible and Walking Dead where I would go, oh, yeah, in 10 issues I should be doing this, or in 20 issues I should be doing this. And I had, like, a good, you know, few years of, oh, and this is going to lead to this, and then this is going to happen, and that's going to happen. And I never really nailed down which issue things would fall in, but I did have, like, a chronological roadmap of a bunch of different plot lines. Mm -hmm. And then what happened is I would forget to check that document, and so I'd write a bunch of issues, and then I'd go back to that document and be like, oh, I was totally supposed to be doing this by now. What the hell? And that's totally better. <laughs> oh, man. So then I would, like, shoehorn that stuff in later or whatever, or just forget it altogether. Um, so, yeah, I just stopped doing that. <laughs> that's ridiculous. <laughs> that should not work. How dare you? Oh, sorry. I mean, I do, uh, now that I have a, a, a fabulous iPhone um, that has, like, a little notes thing on it, uh, every now and then I, I, I pop my note. I don't think any other phone has that feature. I'm just going to act like that. Um, but uh, uh, I will pull that out sometimes and be like, oh, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. And I think if anyone ever found my phone, I would probably go to jail because it's just like, this person's head gets cut off. Or, oh, I've got to bash this person's head in. Or, yeah, so uh, that's... Uh, uh, so w when you... just be lines of dialogue, you know? That's like, awful. Like, I'll slit your throat and then pee in your skull. And it's just like, oh, okay. But that makes Super me think of a storyline. Yeah, yeah, that's all. Um... So when you're don't make Super Dinosaur a punchline. <laughs> Can't help it. <laughs> Every time I say the title, it sounds wrong. It's so much fun. I love it. We're going to talk about it for the next. He's half never hour. seen it. I have. No, you have. I totally dig it. That's yeah, okay. 
I read the first issue. <laughs> Do you guys know Gil? Say hi, Gil. Come out here and say hello. Uh, Gil has a podcast. Uh, what's your, Gil, what's your podcast called? Mutant Season. Come over here. He has a podcast called Mutant Season here at Nerdist, and Gil's a huge Super Dinosaur fan. Yep. Do you have a question about Super Dinosaur? Um, actually, uh, it's going to be a simple one. I couldn't really think of anything complicated. Um, this is for you. Uh, <laughs> I'll take the next one. <laughs> uh, uh, actually, it's really simple. <laughs> What's your favorite character that you created? In Super Dinosaur? Yes. Uh, probably Super Dinosaur himself. I mean, all the other characters are cool. I mean, I don't hate to, I hate to play favorites, but uh, I don't know. He's a you know nine foot tall T Rex yeah. that has giant robotic arms and shoots missiles yeah. and stuff. It's a lot of fun to write. Favorite character too. I, he's awesome. Oh, he's just awesome. All right, thanks. Yeah. Thank you, Gil. Yes. Very cool. Um, yeah. Now we're done with that segment. Um, what were we talking about? I have no idea. Oh, this is oh, what I'm I don't about. keep notes. So yeah, so so you're kind of chasing down these stories. I imagine as they occur, you kind of see where you want things to go in a few issues. But within you know story chapters themselves, a four-part story, is that fairly planned out? Once you start digging into it. Sure. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I. I, I mean, what uh, is the process like for you when you sit down to the actually act script of writing? The writing is really a lot of fun for me. So I, I really enjoy, like, I like having the freedom. I mean, it's something that, you know, has really made me gravitate toward creator owned work is I like having the freedom to go, oh, hey, this is going to happen now, whatever, you know? Um, I do plot things. Actually, fairly tightly. I mean, I, I always know how an issue is going to begin and how it's going to end, but I always leave myself a good section where I can just be like, I don't know what's going here. Um, so uh, I don't know. I like to I like I, I like to fly by the seat of my pants, but I do make sure that I can do that safely without screwing up the story. So um, I do keep trade paperbacks in mind, and I'm always trying to work towards some kind of a moment that will have some sort of a resolution, whether it's a you know definitive resolution or just some kind of button on a scene that you know makes it seem like the whole trade was you know meant to be read as one piece um so i mean i do map things out that way but uh you know there there are many times in all of my books where you know i sit down to write an issue and i'm like oh this guy's dying now that's cool you know <laughs> can you give us an example of that well i was when it was uh, a surprise to you yeah i'm gonna spoil something from issue 94 so that's cover right. your ears we're all up um, to date right yeah. No one's up to date. But uh, uh, Abraham wasn't supposed to die, and the end of that issue uh, is the end of the issue before he dies is him and Eugene like walking out of the community, going to look at some site where Eugene's going to manufacture bullets or something. I don't really remember. And uh, they're uh, they're they're walking, and Eugene's like, oh, "I got you to protect me, buddy. We're going to be fine." And then you cut to a bunch of guys in an alley that's like watching them, uh, and it's supposed to be like, "Oh." What's going to happen? And then that's where the issue ends. Um, and I was writing the next issue, and I had always plotted that, you know, there was going to be, like, a gun battle or some kind of fight, and Eugene and Abraham were going to get back to the community. And uh, and I started, uh, you know, fleshing it all out. And I was like, this is bullshit. 
Like, this, is, this, isn't, this isn't cool. Like, they both survive. That's lame. And so on page two, I have an arrow just go through Abraham's head, and then he dies. Um, and I was like, oh, that'll be, that'll be neat. Um, so, and it's kind of, uh, I mean, I don't mean to be so uh, open, but because uh, uh, I usually try to keep this stuff hidden. But, I mean, I was actually setting up some stuff with his relationship with Holly and uh, Rosita. Yeah. And uh, there was, you know, things that I was going to do with the with that love triangle, um, and I liked the idea of it, like him dying and it being like real life, where it's like you have plans and there are things you want to do, but then someone dies and you're like, well, okay, that's different now. Um, gonna have to figure out how to make that work. Um, so I, I don't know. I think it's kind of neat to be able to do that. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I like being able to just uh, arbitrarily go. Yeah, this would be interesting. So and, and I feel like works, I've lost too. the audience. They're no, like, no, oh, man. They this guy not. needs to try harder. We love this book. <laughs> you still have the TV show. It's fine. <laughs> Glenn, Glenn works really hard. Um, I'm, I'm curious about, just to get technical for a second, um, when you are, you know, you're in that issue and you're starting to flesh things out, what does that look like? Are you writing outlines? Are you doing page breakdowns? Are you going right to script? How do you work? I do uh, uh, everything on paper. So, oh, um, so yeah, well, not, not the whole script. I mean, I, I plot everything on paper. Mm-hmm. So the process of writing a comic is, you know, I sit down and go, okay, now it's time to write Walking Dead 105. And I write Walking Dead 105 at the top of my paper. I number from 1 to 22. And then I just start pulling from, you know, what happened in the issue before and all the plans I have and, like, which storylines I'm going to start or where I'm at with various storylines. And most of that stuff is kind of kept in my head. But I do have, like, notes on my phone and, and stuff like that. Uh, I also uh, jot a lot of notes on the previous paper plots. Mm -hmm. So, like, the plot for 103, you'll have something like, oh, yeah, and in 105, this happens. And so I have to remember to dig those pieces of paper out. Sometimes I don't. Um, But uh, but I basically just go through and, uh, I don't know, the, the process of writing, like, four comic books to me is somewhat easy just because you have to write to page turns. Yeah. So uh, all of the even-numbered pages are the thing you're going to see first. And so I know that so-and-so is going to cut someone's eye out, and I know that so-and-so is going to come out of a room, and you didn't know they were in the room. And I know that, like, there's, like, five or six different surprise moments in the book. And I just go, well, these happen in this order, mm-hmm. and they have to be on even-numbered pages. And and the way the story is going to flow, like this will happen on page two, and this will happen on page eight, and then this will probably happen around page twelve. And I just go in and start plugging those in, and then I just start tying them together. <laughs> and as I'm tying them together, sometimes what's on page twelve will have to move to page fourteen. But I feel like having that even numbered, odd numbered page thing uh, actually makes it a lot easier to plot a, a story. When I go to do the episodes on Walking Dead that I write, mm-hmm. I'm just like, I don't know, really like, what? Yeah. Um, you don't even write towards act breaks on that. No, I do. Some, some, well, we do, and then sometimes it gets changed in the editing. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, it, there are, there's some structure, but it's not quite as rigid as the comic stuff, so it's a little bit more difficult for me. But, uh, but yeah, and then it's all working towards that, you know, uh, cliffhanger at the end, which, you know, Sometimes really is a crazy cliffhanger. Sometimes it's just like, and what are we going to do next? Mm-hmm. So an emotional cliffhanger, off something too. I mean, I, I think it's pretty remarkable what you've been able to do in getting people invested in these characters too. Uh, was this something that always came easy to you? Are you a you know natural storyteller? What did you grow up reading, watching? Uh, listening to even that kind of put you uh, on this path? Lots of comics. Lots mm-hmm. of comics. Uh, you know, watch a lot of movies. I don't know. Um, it, it, 
Mostly comics, honestly. I mean, I didn't. I, I listened to music uh, like in high school and stuff, but I didn't start listening to music regularly until way later. Uh, I don't go to concerts, so I'm just like, eh, whatever. I mean, it's something to listen to while I work. Uh, but uh, but yeah, um, I don't know. I just I, I I think you know I'm able to get people invested in the characters because I'm invested in the characters. Like I really want to know you know what their emotions are and what they're going through and how they're feeling about certain things and. Um, you know, because I'm wanting to like flesh that out and find out about that, it I guess goes through on the page or yeah. some nonsense. I have no clue, but uh, but yeah, I don't know. Um, all right, well, I, I want to get back to the question of influences, but I'm curious about uh, <laughs> horror movies. We'll, we'll get to some, Whatever. some specifics, um, but uh, because you are invested in these characters, um, and certainly we are in translating them to TV. Uh, well. I won't lead you. Is there? Tell me about that process. Uh, you know, translating stuff from the tra- comics to the TV yeah, show. Yeah, tra- uh, in Walking Dead specifically. You know, again, you you clearly care about these characters. Yeah. You want to know about their stories. You want to tell their stories. Uh, is there a letting go that has to happen? Is there a sharing of ownership? You know, what what is it like <coughs> for you to to see them? You know, in the flesh. It's uh, well. I mean, seeing them in the flesh is very strange. Uh, I'll never get used to like hanging out with Stephen Yun and being like, "Oh, there's Glenn. This is nuts." Um, so, uh, uh, and yet, <laughs> that's that's why I got rid of him in the comic. But uh, uh, spoiler alert. It's been like six months. I don't know. That trade's not out yet. Sorry. Put a warning in the podcast when you put it Um Anyway. It's Sunday. I'm not on my game. Um, but in first approaching the TV show, how involved were you early on? Uh, what were the discussions like? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, early on with Frank, you know, I was I was pretty involved, like, with the overall direction. He would, you know, say, hey, we're going to do this, and I'd say, yeah, that's all cool. Um, <laughs> was it but, that easy? But we had a lot of, well, I mean... To just say, yeah, go ahead, you're, the, you're the good main, at it. The main control that you have in an adaptation is before you do it, before you sign any papers. So there were a lot of people that would come to me and say, hey, I want to do this with The Walking Dead. And I'd go, all right, let's have a conversation. And then we would talk and they'd be like, I like dirt bikes and I think that if you had zombies on dirt bikes, that'd be pretty cool. And I mean, if you could have them like with a bullwhip and then they could like hit people, you know, and it's just like dumb stuff. I mean, it wasn't quite that bad, but uh, I, I had a lot of like super zombies and like different pitches where people would try to talk to me and just be like, yeah, I'm not going to do Walking Dead with this guy. So I would just say no and so you know really the the thing that you have to do is wait until you you know find that person that's going to adapt your material that actually you know gets what makes it cool and is actually invested in you know the property and isn't just trying to put their spin on it to turn it into something that they feel is commercial um and and i think frank was that guy so you know he really did understand the material and was like oh you know it's 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 just a character drama you know the zombies are just a backdrop and i'm like yeah yeah, yeah. that's the stuff i say in interviews good job um but uh um but yeah so once you know once he was involved yeah i mean it was pretty easy to just say Oh yeah, that's pretty cool, you know. And then after the first season, I ended up moving out here and and working in the writers' room. So yeah, I became so more involved. After t- that. Yeah, tell us a and little I bit about. Come, that. I mean, I did come out. Uh, 
I was going to write one episode on the first season, and so I came out uh, and spent some time in the writer's room for that, and uh, they liked me, and they wanted me to come back and just kind of help them flesh out uh, the later episodes, episodes five and six, but you know, I live in Kentucky, and I've got young kids, and I was like, I'm not going to be spending you know, another month or two in L.A., uh, so I, I told them I couldn't do it, but uh, you know, they had a lot of fun having me out here. Um, because I'm an awesome dude, I don't know. Uh, and so, uh, uh, this and crowd so, thinks so. You know, I ended up no, uh, no, they don't. But uh, I ended up deciding to move out here to be full time uh, on the second season, just because I was like, hey, uh, when am I going to have another comic turned into a TV show? And when am I going to have another opportunity to like be in a writer's room and see how that goes? And uh, and Kentucky gets cold in the winter, and all you can do is bowl. So. Uh, I was like, all right, so so here I am. Uh, tell us a little bit about writing these characters for the screen and how that's different from writing them for the comic. Uh, it's you know it's rare that the creator gets to do these things concurrently. Yeah, well it's 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 funny because we were we only refer to the zombies as walkers on the show and that's what's all in the scripts and stuff. And then I say zombie all the time in the comic, uh, in the scripts, and we don't really use the term very much in the actual story. But uh, so there are times where like I see different little ticks like that, like working into my comic scripts and uh, you know various little style things like the way you write descriptions on a show is different than how you write descriptions in a comic. And I know sometimes I'm I'm you know messing that up from time to time uh, but there is there's a lot of different uh, different things to learn you know when you come from comics and then writing in television which it's is a little so frustrating to me though. no it's, it's it's very similar but they're just little things that you have to remember you know and I'm not really like good at that uh, I don't know like uh, uh, most of the thing most of my comic scripts are written like emails to uh, to the artist so it's like I don't really it's not that bad but it's just like this guy's over here and he's doing this and this guy's in the foreground and I don't know whatever no wait it might look better if you have him here that's cool and i leave all that stuff in because i feel like having the process of you know knowing what i was asking for and then going maybe it'd be cooler if you did this like it gives them options and um well you also it's not always like that but every every now and then you have collaborators there with whom you've been working for some time exactly there's an easy short yeah and like every now and then i'll be like charlie that one thing you did remember that that one issue do it like that but do this you know and you have to be much more uh comic scripts are are meant to be read by the artist and that's pretty much it and television show scripts are meant to be read by producers and executives and actors and you know line producers and all this all these other people that have to understand the story you know it's a lot more like prose i think to a certain extent because you are you have to make it a little bit more presentable which is uh, somewhat uh, somewhat difficult for me <laughs> i don't know whatever uh, did it so so it was a learning curve for you uh, what was the first script that you wrote the first tv script uh, it was the vatos episode in season 1 uh, and and how was that process? I mean, did they hold your hand through it? Did, oh, yeah. Was Frank there? For oh, yeah. It? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I worked with uh, Chick Egley, was running the room oh, on the first season, and uh, a good buddy of mine, Jack LaJudas, and a guy named Adam Fierro. It was a very small writer's room. Right. And so uh, I got to uh, hang out with those guys and, you know, figure out how that stuff goes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they helped me out quite a bit. And those are great guys to learn from, yeah. too. I mean, oh, yeah, they're, they're, they're all super talented. Um, and... Were you surprised? I mean, you were in the room. You kind of knew the plans for each season. Um, again, I'm, you know, this is sort of an emotional question, but, you know, they took things in the book. Mm-hmm. They went a different way, or I should say you all uh, yeah. went different ways. You deviated from the book. Uh, how did this sit with you? 
I mean, that's a, you have to kind of divorce yourself from the whole "this is mine" mm-hmm. kind of thing. The the comic book, you know, Charlie Adlard and I work on that. I have no input from anyone as to what I'm going to do, and I can just kind of run wild. And that still exists, you know, and that's very important. You know, the comic book to me is hasn't changed at all, mm-hmm. and the television show is just this additional thing where I get to sit around with a bunch of writers and kind of have fun with it and see what they can do and really just kind of watch them make my crap better. I think so, you know, to a certain extent. Uh, so it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Like I, I I actually enjoy sitting in the writers' room, and I'll tell them all the time. Like, look, you know, don't hold back. Like I want them to be in the room going, well, in the comic you did this, but that didn't really work. So uh, we're gonna do something different. You know, like I want them to express their opinions, like as we're going through different stories. And uh, I think in hindsight, there are different things that at the very least could be added to enhance stories. I mean, a very good example of that is the uh, barn scene in season two. I'm going to spoil that if you guys haven't seen that. Spoil um, everything. Like in the comic book, Herschel's got some family in the barn. They open the barn. They kill a bunch of zombies. Somebody gets killed. Oh, whatever. Uh, the Sophia storyline that's injected into that in, in the show makes that barn reveal like that much more emotional and it's so much more upsetting and it's just this really huge moment that's memorable that people still talk about that it's adapted from the comic, but it's enhanced to a degree that it is, you know, just a, a much cooler thing. And, and that is, you know, it's just really gratifying and really amazing to be able to watch a bunch of people, you know, and participate to a certain extent in, uh, you know, that happening. I mean, it's really kind of fun to, I don't know, it's a little weird sometimes because I do spend like eight hours of my day like sitting around <laughs> talking about a comic book I wrote eight years ago uh, uh, and at the end of the day sometimes I'm like ugh, good lord, I, I, I've had enough of that but uh, uh, but it's a, it's a lot of fun you know, it's cool seeing it all come together Yeah, I, I can imagine uh, Take us inside the season a little bit if you if you will This season? This current season Okay. Uh, which every, the, they all seem very eager to get home to watch it <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, but, you know, there have been some major turns almost in every episode. I mean, we've only seen, what, four of them this year? Five of them? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, and what's very interesting to me is, you know, coming from reading the comic and watching the show and being a fan of both uh, is the way, you know, we kind of expected Laurie to die. Really? At some point. Yeah, but not um, in episode four. But not in episode four. <laughs> Where, can you recall the conversations in the room that led to this? Yeah, I mean, uh, we always knew that that scene in particular was going to happen. At one point, we were uh, planning on doing that at the end of the season. Um, but then uh, just because, you know, we, we wanted to, I mean, it happens in the comic, and we also knew that that would be a defining moment for Rick and would really kind of set the stage for, you know, the, the next, you know, season or two or three or ten or however long the show goes uh, with Rick. Um, and so, you know, as we were plotting it out, though, we were like, oh, you know, it'd be kind of weird if it was in episode nine instead of episode, you know, I, well, it was like 16. So it was like, oh, maybe it'll be in episode 10. And then as we kept <laughs> plotting it, it just kept moving for, more and more forward just because we really wanted to kind of hit the ground running and uh, really kind of pay off the intensity of the last few episodes of season two. Mm-hmm. We didn't really want to slow things down too much. Um, and, uh, and I thought it would be really cool to have such a, a crazy moment, you know, that early in the season. It really kind of keeps people on their toes. So everybody in the writer's room was really kind of gung-ho about, uh, you know, just really making it, making it a pretty nutty season. I mean, there's some big stuff coming, and I wish the whole season had, was out so that I could talk about it more in detail, but uh, I think when it, all, when it all comes out, I mean, it evens out. I mean, it's not like, 
big crazy stuff every episode and there's not like big gaps but there's a lot of really cool stuff that happens well they're also i mean you guys do such a great job in these smaller moments too i mean i'm thinking of like um I'm sorry, I forget her name. But when she went to practice the C-section on the yeah, zombie, yeah. which... I don't know her name know. either. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Carol. Carol. Yeah, when Carol went to... <laughs> you have to concentrate on the comic. <laughs> you have too much work to do. Um, but, you know, like, that's such a powerful, small moment and very real to this world, which could be so foreign to us. Um, tell us about, you know, again, some of the conversations that happened in the room coming into this new season, especially, you know, you're, you have a new showrunner starting ha- like halfway through last year, yeah. right? Um, and I, you know, speaking for the fans a little bit, certainly things have gotten more interesting and a lot faster. And I think the fans are really getting what they want a lot more these days. Uh, what were the conversations that happened with Glenn and all these guys in the room? Well, uh, a lot of times we talk about Michael Bay movies. Um, <laughs> every now and then, you know, uh, Game of Thrones. That was a big topic of discussion for a long time. Um, there's a lot of nonsense uh, that goes on in those writers' rooms. But, uh, I mean, I think uh, we sat down and we looked at all the characters that we have. And uh, this season is really about introducing a lot of new elements. And so when we sat down to figure out what exactly Woodbury was and who was going to populate that and how we were going to portray the prison and how we were going to fit all of this stuff into this season. I mean, even though it is 16 episodes, we knew that, uh, you know, we were going to have to, you know, really tell a lot of story in each episode just to kind of get to it just because, you know, you have to... uh, you have to do something with the characters. You can't just have them on the show and not do anything with them. So, um, you know, we knew that we were going to be coming into this season telling really dense stories. Um, so, I mean, that was something that we that we set out to do. I mean, as far as specific conversations, uh, I don't remember any of them. Uh, but uh, <laughs> well, I'll get but I know that, that we talk that. a lot about how scenes like that, you know, C-section mm-hmm. practicing thing, um, you know... Uh, we plot stuff like that out, and we're like, this is the weirdest show that has ever been on TV. Because, uh, you know, you never have a character uh, uh, practicing on a dead body to do something. Like, that's just bizarre. And well, because, because it's this show, well, you know, it's not, not in a field with a, you know, old smelly dead body. No. But, uh, but anyway, um, it's a little different than Grey's Anatomy. Uh, that's all I'm saying. I think they're the same show. <laughs> Beg to differ. I need to watch more Grey's Anatomy. Um, but, uh, uh, the coffee's kicking in. I'm sorry. No, it's good. It's great. It's fine. I will ask you to leave. But, uh, yeah. uh, for it to be, it's, it's like, to be able to do such weird stuff and it not be weird, you know, like we're constantly talking about storylines where uh, I don't want to, I don't, I don't know what I can say about like the recent episodes that have aired, but, uh, you know, the, the stuff in episodes, we have talked about Lori dying, never mind. So go up, uh, to, up to last week. I'm going to do that. Uh, but just like uh, that little kid shot his mom, for God's sake. Yeah. And like these are just the, the things that we talk about for like an eight-hour day. Like, oh, how's that kid going to take that? And, and how's that going to work? And, you know, and, and having those kind of discussions is just a really – uh, it's really it's really weird for me because comic book writing is me in a room going this will be really crazy okay go Charlie <laughs> right. uh, but to actually like have to discuss it and and really like weigh different options and you know figure out how we're going to do things is is uh, sometimes like I'm four hours into it and I'm like I can't believe we're still talking about how this 
stomach is going to get cut open and this baby is going to come out and this is just nuts. So, uh, so it's, it's pretty fun. I want to get specific on that for a second. I know just because it's fresh in my mind, I know this is clearly was... not going to get any specific from me, but keep going. Well, uh, I know this was uh, Angela Kang's episode last week huh? uh, and she did an amazing job writing Rick grieving, which, you know, could have been a drag to watch, yeah. but it was really a harrowing episode um, do you remember the conversations around that, you know, dealing with the fallout of Laurie? No. <laughs> All right, we'll ask, we'll ask her at the end of the season. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, we really wanted to do an episode that wasn't, you know, a guy just sitting there whining the entire time. And, you know, th- like you said, it can be a, a completely terrible episode to have someone, you know, dealing with that kind of a situation. But at the same time, you would you'd never get away with not you know, with ignoring that kind of stuff, you know, just, oh, well, it's two weeks later and he got over it, like, whatever. That stuff's boring to see. Um, And, uh, you know, we really wanted to show more of the prison and uh, just kind of uh, uh, solidify it as a character in the show. Um, And uh, and we were leading into the the phone bit Mm -hmm. that everyone is... uh, Seeing so uh, so, I don't know. I don't know what went into it. Whatever. No, that's that's interesting. <laughs> we'll we'll get more from the staff at the end of the season. Uh, <laughs> uh, I want to go to the book. It was like for a seven second. months ago, I man. Know. I don't know. <laughs> but we're only just experiencing. It. <laughs> um, I want to get into the book again for just a sec and talk about some of these big decisions that were made. Um, specifically, you know, we mentioned Glenn earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, was that a surprise death to you? Had that been planned uh, in your head? How did, uh, how did that come about? Because that was, I know that hit people really hard. I can hear some people in the audience going, oh, what? Yeah, sorry, don't, jerks. Don't, uh, go, don't go into you more got, detail. Stay up to date. Uh, but I was, at, I think it came out in like June or July, right? And I remember hearing about it at Comic-Con, and I was not up to date, and everyone was like, you got to read this issue. <laughs> uh, but th- it was really intense. Yeah, uh, that was planned for a long time. Yeah. Um, I knew that... Uh, I knew that he was going to be the next major character to die, and he was actually supposed to die in an earlier issue, and I changed my mind. <laughs> that happens, too. How early? Uh, I, was, I was planning on him going in 75. Um, really? But then as I was plotting that stuff, uh, I decided not to. There was actually a cover drawn where Maggie is like in her house changing clothes, and uh, uh, there's a person outside the window, like, watching her. And that was going to take place after his death. It was her. She was going to be alone. And uh, and then we ended up using that cover anyway. Because the covers are sometimes drawn way in advance. Um, but uh, but I was like, eh, let's, let's keep this guy in the book for a while. Um, and, I, and I had to do more things to build to it and stuff like that. I mean, there's a lot of story reasons not to do that. But, uh, you know, when it came to that scene in particular, I knew that... I wanted to introduce Negan in a big way, and um, you know I, I had always planned to to build to that moment and just have that. Uh, I mean, the thing that I think makes the death so jarring is that it is such an arbitrary decision on Negan's part, and uh, I had that scene in mind for you know months and months. Yeah, so that's interesting, um, and I'm curious about that too. You know, we see this in. The Walking Dead, the TV show, and the book, and we see it in Invincible too. You know, is there a pressure on yourself to up the stakes? 
when telling a story? I definitely feel that in Invincible. I mean, uh, yeah, because, I mean, you always want to have a place to go, Mm -hmm. you know, and especially in a superhero book, you need to be able to say, oh, well, this guy's, you know, the biggest threat that he's faced ever, (laughs) Uh, you know, and and when you've been doing a book for almost 100 issues, it's kind of hard to, you know, keep that sense there, but uh, uh, I don't know. I, I always seem to kind of luck into you know, figuring something out and, and, and throwing it in, but uh, but yeah, I mean I, I do try to, sometimes I hold back on certain scenes so that I can build on them later and, and do uh, uh, bigger stuff, but uh, but yeah, it is kind of difficult to, uh, I don't know. Is there is there a character in any of the books that you've uh, tackled that has been particularly challenging for you? Uh, I mean... Just being honest, smart characters are very difficult for me sometimes because you have to make them seem smart. They're only as smart as you are. I mean, look, I'm telling you, that's a huge thing because yeah. you sit down to write them and you're like, that guy, what? I can't, I can't make that guy seem smart because I'm not very intelligent, especially if it's in like a... Like, I could, I could rattle off about pop culture. Like, oh, I've got a character that's really, uh, you know, keen on pop culture. That'll be great. Uh, but having to do research to make characters like Eugene seem like they know what they're talking about is... Uh, uh, extremely difficult. And it's funny. I'll, I'll tell this anecdote because I, I feel like everyone's bored. Um, Are you so, guys bored? Uh, <laughs> they seem bored. <laughs> I'm not good at reading a crowd. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, there's a scene. I'm going to spoil issue 60 something. Um, there's a there's a scene uh, where Glenn gets shot in the uh, hunter's arc, mm-hmm. and they take him back into the church. And I wanted to show that Eugene was a very smart individual, and so I wanted him to be able to like field dress a bullet wound uh, in a way that was. I'm just going to say somewhat MacGyvery, and so I want. I, I started doing a bunch of research on how like Civil War medics and stuff dealt with bullet wounds, and like what you can do uh, with the limited resources that they have in the comic. And it was essentially like wash it out with water and uh, keep the keep it in the open air so that it dries well and you know doesn't get infected. And uh, I was like, that just seems lame. Like that's not going to make Eugene seem smart or cool or anything. And so I just made up a bunch of stuff. Uh, so I have him like come into the church and go, do you have any tea leaves? And then he like takes a bunch of tea leaves and crumples them up on the wound. And then he's like, do you have any wax? And he takes wax and like seals the wound in so that the tea leaves will suck up the moisture in the wound or something, whatever. Um, and, and it's this really cool scene and everyone's like, oh, okay, yeah. And uh, he totally knows what he's doing. Um, and it works. But, uh, but then I got a bunch of letters in where people were like, look, uh, that would cause an infection. And that, is, and, then, and that is the exact wrong thing to do. Uh, and then I got a bunch of other letters that were like, wow, that was totally awesome. Eugene is really smart. And so I printed those letters and didn't print the other letters where they called me out for being wrong. Um, and so if you read the letters column, I seem like a genius. <laughs> Uh, is there a character that's been particularly fun or easy for you to write or that you relate to the most? I don't relate to him at all, but I am uh, having a blast writing Negan. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just a lot of fun uh, constructing sentences that have, like, nine of the same cuss word. Um, <laughs> that's, I'm having a good time with that. Uh, I actually look forward to, to writing his dialogue quite a bit. But, uh, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I have a good time writing most characters. I haven't really... Uh, experienced any time where you know I'm, I'm sick of writing a character or, or I have uh, a particular difficulty with it. Mm-hmm. Um, if I did, I would kill them off. But uh, I don't know. Same. 
smart characters. That's why Eugene sometimes falls in the background because I'm like, I don't know what to do with that guy right now. But he's also got a sort of interesting emotional life going on, especially in these past like 20 issues or something. Yeah, yeah, since yeah. I got to check it out, you guys. Um, <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> do you? No, um, I do. Uh, let's talk about influences. I said we'd come back to that. Sure. Um, what were these comics that you first got into? You mentioned the Spider-Man and the Peter David Hulk. Uh, what were some of the other stuff? And when did you kind of have that light bulb of, oh, people write these, and this is something I could do? I mean, it was very early on with that 90s Marvel stuff. I mean, I read, I mean, that's, uh, if you read Invincible, I mean, you can kind of tell that that's the kind of stuff that really makes me excited. But, uh, you know, once I started reading things like Watchmen and Dark Knight, and uh, there's a book called uh, Minimum Wage by uh, Bob Fingerman. That's like a real slice of life. Fanographics published it. Um, you know, things like Hellboy. I mean, wh- when I got to like, uh, uh, you know, the, the, I guess, smarter comics, like stuff that was a little bit for an older audience, uh, you know, it really kind of excited me about the, the possibilities of what comics could be. Um, and uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I actually wanted to write and draw comics. Uh, and then I ended up being a terrible artist. And so I was like, eh, that's not going to work out. Um, it also takes a lot of time. It does take a lot of time. So in the end, I'm like, ah, suckers. <laughs> but uh, uh, but you know it did. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It was a little upsetting early on in my career because I actually drew an entire comic book and uh, it was going to be the first comic that I published. I was working on it at the same time as Battle Pope, but Diamond Comics Distributors, the company that sends all the comics to the comic stores, said this is so unprofessional we cannot distribute this. <laughs> How does that not turn you off to, to, to continue? I, I, I was depressed for like two or three days. Uh, you know, I, was, I was pretty upset. But then I was like, well, I guess I'm not doing that. So uh, I still had Battle Pope going. So. And were you one of these kids who would write stories and like, was writing something you always did? Yeah, I did. Uh, I, I really enjoyed doing creative writing in you know high school and stuff. I actually found a, a story I wrote in the fourth grade uh, that is absolutely terrible, but uh, it's like seven pages long and it's handwritten. I was going to scan it and put it online, but I mean, I've been doing that kind of stuff for a while. Uh, it's about a bunch of kids that kill an alien. I don't know. Um, but uh, I also did the thing where you uh, take typing paper and fold it in half and staple it and then draw your own comics, and so I have a bunch of those floating around that I did. Um, and where did you grow up? Uh, Kentucky. I was in Kentucky. Oh, oh so yeah. you are only just here, newly here. You haven't, have you lived elsewhere? No. That's fascinating. Because uh, I remember reading, especially early on, I think it was in The Walking Dead, like the letters pages or something, and realizing, oh, this guy lives in Kentucky. You can, <laughs> you can do this from anywhere. Yeah, uh, the future has been very kind to me. I mean, absolutely. if I had been born like 10 years earlier, I never would have been able to do anything because I would have had to move to New York and L.A. And I like trees, so I didn't do that. <laughs> no. um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really strange to think about Charlie Adlard lives in the U.K., and then Jason Howard's in Michigan, and Ryan Otley is in Utah, Colorado, Utah. He's in Utah. Whatever. So, uh, so yeah, it's pretty, uh, pretty oh, nuts. That's amazing. Uh, and, you know, I mean, I, I guess I've sort of already asked this, but I want to get a little more specific. You know, was there – what was your entry into – you know the comics business. What was the first thing you got paid to actually write? Uh, you know, I, I I made a little bit of money on Battle Pope when I was self-publishing it, so I guess that would count. Yeah. But uh, the guy who ended up coloring 
uh, Battle Pope covers was a guy named Val Staples, and he because he was like a I mean he's like a businessman on the side and uh, is a huge fan of He Man. He landed the Masters of the Universe license when the GI Joe and the Transformers comics are coming out and they're really popular, and so he actually. Uh, kept me from losing my house by paying me to write some He-Man stuff. So there was actually someone here today that had that stuff. So when I see it now, I'm like, oh, that stuff kept me from being homeless. That's pretty awesome. That's amazing. So, That's yeah. really cool. Um, and was it you? I know you were at Marvel for a little bit. Um, was that an easy jump to make? I mean, you had kind of made your name. You know, I feel like once you get a few of these credits, people start to know who you are, or at least see that you know how to do this. Yeah, I mean, it was easy writing-wise. The actual nuts and bolts of, like, dealing with them was probably not as smooth as it would have been because I came from self-publishing and then doing things at Image, and so, like, I would write them angry emails because they didn't do the logo the way I wanted it, and that was probably not too... uh was not, probably not something they enjoyed or expected from me, but uh, I was used to, like dictating where the staples go, you know, and then you go to Marvel and it's like, oh, by the way, uh, this person's doing your cover and we don't care if you like his art or not, but that's how it's going to be. And, you know, that kind of stuff was difficult. But as to, you know, going from writing, you know, Super Patriot to writing Fantastic Four wasn't that difficult. Uh, all right. Let's get to your questions. Don't t- Oh, don't touch my microphone. That's oh, the other okay. rule. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so the first question I have is when writing dialogue, now that you have actors and faces and voices, is that different now for you as opposed to before when it was your imagination? It's a, it's a little more nerve-wracking because when you're writing for comics, the dialogue is read and... Um, it's a little bit different. Um, knowing that your dialogue is going to be like uh, uh, like said aloud on set, and you're going to be on set for that, like it, it is a little like I go over lines a lot more than I do in the comics. I think, um, but uh, there are different ways. I mean, there are different things that work in comics dialogue wise, and there are different things that work in uh, in in television. And don't ask me for specifics because I don't know. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, uh, you know, you have to keep things a little bit shorter, and um, there are just certain things that people don't really say. So, so I don't know. But yeah, it's it's very different. And I I would follow that up with you know as far as the storytelling techniques that are unique to each medium, uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Are there you know tricks that you've learned for comics, tricks that you've learned for TV? Uh, you know. Um, the page turn is a big one. I mean, page, I know that comes yeah, up a lot with comic writers. Uh, that's a big deal. I mean, I think you can jump around a lot more in comics, and you can't really um, move the focus too much in a television show. I know that uh, you know you can you can tell a storyline from like Rick's point of view, and then you can cut away to the governor. Uh, but you know, once you start having like six or seven. POVs in an episode, like, that gets to be a little cumbersome. Uh, In comics, you know, I've done issues of Invincible where every two pages focus on different characters, and you can go to different planets and do different things like that, and the audience doesn't seem to mind, but I think it's a little bit too jarring for television, so that's something that I've had to kind of keep in mind. But, uh, I don't know, there's a lot, but uh, I obviously didn't prepare for this interview in any way, so uh, I wish I had a better better answer for you. Uh, I read the uh, the article you did in Game Informer. You did the, the small little interview, and you said you were pretty hands-off with the Activision game that's coming out as far as other things Walking Dead-related that you've been involved in. 
Um, have you seen any of it, or like, are you still really excited about it, or, um, I, uh, or do you play the games yourself, like current kind of gaming more? Yeah, I mean, the Telltale game I, I play and was you know pretty involved in dictating what kind of story would be told there, even though I wasn't doing the actual writing. Um, as far as the Activision game goes, that's something that AMC put together. So like, I've seen story documents and things that they're doing, and I, I've looked over that stuff and approved it. I've seen you know uh, uh, early animations and, and things like that. I've seen a lot of uh, I've seen like the designs for Daryl and Merle and looked over the turnarounds on those and, and stuff. So I am involved, but uh, um, you know, not as involved as I was in the Telltale game. I mean, I think that game is going to be mostly an action game, which I think is really cool. Uh, you're going to be running around in the woods uh, shooting crossbows into zombies. Uh, you know what? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's third person, but uh, I'm gonna go back on that if that's not the case. So uh, we'll, we'll drop uh, it in later. Okay, that's great. Yeah, put it, uh, fix it in post. Exactly. In those times where um, your actual story deviated away from what you planned, do you what's your process for reworking the storyline, or do you usually find yourself going back to what you originally planned? Um. Yeah. Well. It, it's, I mean, it's different in every case, but you know, every now and then, uh, what I do changes that other story to the point where I can't do it anymore, and it just gets cut. Um, but sometimes, you know, you tell the. I'm trying to think of a specific example, and I'm coming up short, which is what I'm doing tonight. But uh, you know, uh, there was there was a scene in uh, the way the third trade paperback ends was not how it was intended. How, remind us how that ends. Uh, it ends with uh, it ends with uh, Dexter, the prisoner, with a shotgun at Rick's head, and he says, "Get the fuck out of my house!" And he's kicking him out of the prison. Um, and it was the first time that a trade ever ended on a cliffhanger, and I got a lot of complaints. But uh, while I was writing that issue, that issue was building to a scene where Lori throws her wedding ring at Rick and says, I want a divorce. That's what the last page was supposed to be. And while I was writing that issue, uh, I just couldn't make it make sense. I was like, I don't get why Lori would have this reaction, and I haven't done enough to set this up, or it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, I had a plot point that the characters weren't allowing me to naturally get to and so I just threw that plot point away um, and then had the prison you know take over thing I mean that was going to happen anyway but that ended up uh, taking its place and I I never really got back to that story just because I didn't really think that it uh, it didn't really have the punch that I thought it was going to have and I wanted to uh just kind of deal with what divorce would be like in the apocalypse because you can't really sign papers and there isn't really an official way to say I'm no longer married with you uh, or married to you and and you can't like move into a different place if you're living in the prison together you're going to see your you know ex-wife every day you're still going to be living together and I wanted to kind of deal with that a little bit but uh, then I decided not to <laughs> <laughs> that has to be it, it only occurs to me as you're saying that that it, that has to be a game that you play with yourself that what is what is this action that I take for granted uh, in the apocalypse? You know, is that a story generator for you? Yeah, I was thinking about wow, being divorced is awesome. How would that work? <laughs> no, I haven't been divorced, um, but uh, but no, I mean it's uh, yeah, yeah, I do that all the time. You know, when I'm in places, you know, I'll be like, well, what would this place be like? You know, if if there wasn't civilization around it, like if I'm in a hospital or you know uh, uh, when I'm driving through LA, you know, um, but uh, but yeah, I, I, I do that quite a bit. Um, I just want to say, like, uh, on 
kind of nervous right now, sorry. On The Walking Dead. You and me both, buddy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Together. Uh, you really put the characters, like, really through the ringer, like, on the TV show and the comic. Have you ever thought of something and then just had the reaction, like, no, that's too tragic to happen? Or do you just let it go wherever it'll take you? Um, a lot of times in the writer's room, uh, a lot of a lot of the things that we do in the show, not a lot, but every now and then there are things that we do in the show that come from uh, uh, an absolutely like terrible pitch that I have thrown out there because um, I don't know. I might have the darkest ideas for the show, but like uh, I'll, I'll tell you this: so the whole idea of Sophia getting separated and being lost in the woods and them having to find her was from a pitch that I gave early on in the season where I said, you know, hey, I'd like to do a storyline where we do an entire episode that's just about Carl and Sophia and they get separated from the group and they're in the woods by themselves and Sophia gets bit by a zombie and Carl has to bash her head in with a rock to keep, <laughs> to keep her from killing him and then he comes back to the group and has to be like, yeah, I totally killed Sophia, what up? Um, news. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then everyone in the writers room was like, "Not that." Uh, so, uh, so yeah. I mean, there are there are times where uh, you know there are dark pitches that kind of get scaled back a little bit. And then you know, as we were working on the season, it was like, "Oh yeah." And then Sophia could get separated. It was like that thing you suggested, but not crazy and depressing. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. But that, that definitely happens. Has there been stuff like that in the book too? You know where. There has to be a line, <laughs> no. right? No, <laughs> no, so you there, don't have there, to answer it anymore. Yeah, there has been. There, I, again, specific <laughs> examples. I'll, I'll do my best, but I know there have been times where, you know, I, I've, I've pulled back, you know, quite a bit. Um, well, I would not imagine. often, but sometimes. And then it reconfigures in some way. I mean, as, yeah. as we've kind of yeah. heard. Well, I, it's, it's a fine line because you want to portray that world realistically in the show and the comic. You want to say, hey, this is a dangerous world. People are going to be dying left and right. But you don't want the audience to be like, <laughs> watching this makes me depressed, you know, or reading this makes me sad. So I'm not going to read this anymore. You know, that's something that you have to kind of make sure you don't do. So you always kind of have to, like, throw in little, uh, little nuggets of hope and, uh, you know, keep things a little bit uplifting and moving forward. Otherwise, it would be painful. <laughs> yeah. Hi, I have a question about uh, when you left Marvel a few years ago to sort of save the comics industry and sort of lead the way for, you know, other, other creators to sort of do more independent work. Sure. Uh, just, you know, looking back on it now, do you feel, do you, do you feel like uh, you got the response that you wanted from other creators? And can you just comment on the state of the comics industry in general and, uh, you know, other creators and what they could potentially be doing? I, I could talk about this for an entire podcast on its own, but uh, I'll just say briefly, um, you know, the main message there was that, you know, I, I, I thought it was a shame that more comic book creators don't go off and do the thing that they want to do and, uh, you know, do more creator-owned books. And I think that, you know, we are, I think a lot of people are saying we're experiencing a creator-owned renaissance right now, so I would never in a million years say that that's because of me, but I do feel like things have taken a turn, uh, and, uh, you know, I'm really excited about that. Uh, so, so that's great. I think we're in a really good place there. Uh, I see a lot of people leaving Marvel and DC to do their own thing, and I think that that's better for Marvel and DC in the long run, and also better for you know the industry as a whole. Because when you have things like Saga and Fatal and Manhattan Projects, I think that you know the Walking Dead shows that 
those are the ideas that are going to have longevity. I think that, you know, another Captain America comic is fantastic and everybody likes that and it's going to be great, but that's not really going to help the comic book industry. Um, you know, it's not going to, I, I think the, the, uh, the general public, you know, knows whether or not they want to read a Captain America comic by now, but the fact that we have all these new things coming out that, you know, changes the comics industry and how people perceive it, uh, I think is, is really good for us. So it's good for Marvel and DC only in that it expands the readership. Yeah, and it also, uh, you know, when, when guys go off and do their own thing, it, it, it has a, a hungrier, younger, newer face that's going to have to come into that slot and hopefully do, you know, exciting, crazy things, you know. So you want that guy that's trying to prove himself to come into that, that slot and, and do that. I mean, yeah. Uh, when creating new characters, where do you look for inspiration when you're creating the new characters? Do you sometimes look to friends and family, or do you just, you know, where do you find their traits? Just creating new characters. I, I mean, it's a, it's a myriad of millions of different things, but it is like if I have a buddy that says something weird and he has like a strange personality tick that's somewhat memorable, that'll totally get put into something. <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and just if someone has like an interesting backstory or uh, uh, just like different aspects of different people that I meet or... Uh, um, do, you sometimes, wanna, do, do you want to get a little specific? Uh, maybe some characters that we know from any of the books? Yeah, I can't where you do drew that from? because there's... <laughs> yeah, I don't want anybody to get mad at me. But, uh, uh, They're well, all lovable. Like Glenn, Glenn is a pizza delivery guy because I worked at a pizza place when I was in high school and uh, you know there are little aspects of me uh, that get thrown into this stuff and, and, and a lot of it is uh, I react to certain things a certain way because I'm a human being. And then I think, like, wouldn't it be weird if I was a different person? And how would I react to this? And then, and then I do that. Does that make sense? Is that like the plainest, l- lamest way to say it? You'd um, be surprised how often it doesn't get said, though. You know, like yeah. we we talk to TV writers and we talk to comic book writers, and these are people who are writing characters who are not them. You know, and to say, yeah, you have to look at the world in a different way. Yeah. It seems obvious, but it's an important thing to point out. Yeah, it's like, how would I react to this if I was psychotic? How would I react to this if I was depressed? How would I react, you know, and, and, you know, changing, you know, the way that you would do things and then putting that in the, in the work. I mean, uh, I notice sometimes I, I, uh, like you watch movies or television shows and you go, I really thought this was going to happen. I was really hoping that this would happen. Um, and so while I'm writing stories, sometimes I will find myself writing what I want to happen. And you have to make sure that you're not always doing that, which I think is really important. Like you, you write, you know, sometimes I write the outcome I want to happen. Sometimes I write the outcome I absolutely do not want to happen. Sometimes I have those two outcomes and I decide to do something different. And I think changing things up that way is, is really important too. With all the success of The Walking Dead, has there been any offers to adapt Invincible? Um, well, I mean, there's been offers, uh, but I haven't liked them. <laughs> so, so yeah. Uh, for various uh, media? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's like The Walking Dead. You know, you, I had to wait for the right team, for the right take 
um, you know, in the right situation. And, uh, you know, when that happens on Invincible, there will be something. But until then, you know, there won't be. Uh, I don't I don't think that uh, I mean, it's hard. It's harder with Invincible just because superheroes are so popular now, which I think sounds weird. But, you know, to a certain extent, a movie studio is going to go, well, like I'm going to compete with the Avengers with this. Like that doesn't work. People just they're just going to watch the Avengers. Like, why would I do this other thing? Um, So so that's a that's a bit of a hurdle. But uh, I think we'll get over that hurdle eventually. I mean, I, I don't I don't have any aspirations to have a crappy Invincible movie or a mediocre Invincible TV show out there. So, uh, you know, I'm going to wait and make sure that I can prevent that from happening. Is there, I mean, well, we can, we can maybe even talk about this, but is there a team? Is there, you know, a point of view that you look at from someone who's making, whether it's movies or TV or something out there? Uh, or is there a medium that you could see Invincible being translated into successfully? You know, what's think, your idea? I think we're fastly uh, or quickly... Whatever. We're almost done. Yeah, I think we're I think we're quickly approaching a time where an invincible TV show is, uh, you know, possible. I think that the technology is getting to a point where, you know, that could be done. And I think that you know, uh, that would probably be my ideal medium, just because Invincible is this sprawling, interconnected, you know, story that would adapt to a television show pretty well. I think, mm-hmm. and I think that uh, if audiences could sit down for an hour once a week and watch buildings collapse and superheroes duke it out in the streets and you know all the emotional garbage that's in Invincible <laughs> as well. But uh, but if you could actually see that kind of cool stuff on your television, I think that would be a really, you know, kind of bizarre, unique thing to, to have. And, yeah. you know, that would be the ideal situation. But I think right now the budgets on that would be a little crazy. So yeah. so we're going to do it with claymation. That's <laughs> <laughs> the only way to do it. Uh, how did making the setting be in the South, what, what, was that mean? what did that mean to you, obviously, from the fact that, like, you're from the South? That rednecks and zombies are hilarious, and that there's. Wait, wait. And that, and that there's see, that's really funny because to me there are no rednecks in Walking Dead. <laughs> but uh, uh, I actually watched My Name Is Earl for I think three seasons before I realized that uh, Jason Lee was doing an accent. <laughs> I was like, wait, that's not his voice from Mallrats? Oh, I guess it's not, huh? Um, I'm from Kentucky. But uh, uh, I don't know. I said it in uh, in the South because that's what I was familiar with. And uh, I think that when you set things in New York or Washington, D.C. or Los Angeles, like there's a certain air of uh, importance to those locations. Like I would think that the cast that's set in New York City would be going to the UN or doing some kind of nonsense to try and solve the problem. And I think that the group that's surviving in that universe in Georgia is just going to be like, I just want to find some rice and some bullets and then just not die. And that to me is a lot more interesting. I mean, I never wanted The Walking Dead to be about you know, solving the problem or fixing the world. I think that would be beyond most people. And I think that most people react and uh, relate more to, you know, groups of people like them that would be surviving the way they would survive, trying to find people they like, that they can live with, that they can hold up with, and, and try and get by. So I thought it would be a more more realistic take on that kind of stuff. Yeah, interesting. It's interesting, too, that the first season of the series, of the show, sort of fainted towards these bigger questions, although never quite That's, that's because uh, Frank Darabont knew that the CDC was in Atlanta, and I did not. <laughs> he was like, so why didn't you go to the CDC in the comic? And I was like, well, I thought that, I mean, that's like a long trip, right? And he was like, no, no, it's right there in Atlanta. And I was like, what? Is it really? All right. 
Is there this podcast? You hate me now. (laughs) What is this guy doing? I'm gonna have you back every week (laughs) till we get it all. Uh, This podcast won't come out until January. Okay. Uh, Is there anything you can tell us? I'll spoil the next four episodes of the show. No, I'm really not going to. (laughs) You guys have Twitter. That's not gonna work. Um, Uh, Is there anything that you've gotten to write recently that you are really excited for us to see? Uh, we haven't talked at all about Thief of Thieves. We'll get to that in a sec. But sure, that I'm <laughs> excited about that. No, I mean I don't know. I uh, I don't I don't know. I mean I'm excited about everything. I don't I don't really put one thing over the other stuff. I I don't know. There's never really anything I finish where I'm just like this among all else. I'm excited for that to get out there. Uh, uh, I like every project more than all of my other projects when I'm working on them. So, you know, when I'm writing an issue of Super Dinosaur, I'm like, oh, this is the best thing I've ever done. I don't know why people don't love this book. Um, but uh, I'm kidding. Everybody loves Super Dinosaur. But uh, it's just this guy. Um, but, uh, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so, I mean, I, I think... If I if I liked any project more than any other project, I wouldn't be able to do so much stuff. And the fact that I can go, oh, I'm just totally into Walking Dead right now, and then the next day just be like, I just love Invincible. Um, you know, it makes it possible to do all those other things. Do you have a short attention span for pro- for projects? No, I mean, I don't think I have a short attention span. I think I just like the variety. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I I could sit and write Invincible for an entire month and get like. I don't know, like 40 issues done. It's not that hard to write a comic. But uh, anyway, (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, But, uh, uh, you know, I just, I like being able to do a bunch of superheroes, you know, smashing buildings and crying and talking about their feelings and stuff, and then doing a bunch of people in the woods, killing zombies, and then crying and talking about their feelings and stuff. Uh, And then doing a little kid who's got a dinosaur who's buddy, and they cry and talk about their feelings and stuff. But uh, uh, I like that variety. I mean, if I had to work every day on Walking Dead, it would be depressing. Sure. So. Uh, And you seem to be a writer who really enjoys writing. I, I do, I do. I mean, I, you'd be surprised how rarely we hear that. That's weird. I don't, I don't get that. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I really, that's the most fun thing to do. I mean, with everything, the the worst part of my awesome life right now is that I have less time to write because I'm doing all this nonsense with Skybound and the stupid TV show and all this other stuff. You have to um, be a manager. As I'm well. in the, I'm in the editing room looking at awesome special effects, and I'm like, I'd rather be writing. Um, but uh, I don't know. I really like. Um, it's uh, if I could just sound like a moron more than I already have. Uh, I like having these fake worlds that I can visit, and I like building on them and progressing those stories, and when I'm not progressing those stories, I get antsy. So I really, I, I don't know, I feel like those worlds stop existing when I'm not writing them, and I have to get back to them to like get get the story to advance more. Does that make any sense at Absolutely. all? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we... Look out, I'm going to talk about myself for a second. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. If you want to go in. Uh, but I'll turn it into a question. Um, my, my writing no, don't. and I always uh, kind of say, you know, creating worlds is like we're five years old again in our bedroom playing with action figures. You know, it seems to be, that seems, feels like what you're describing is, you know, were, were you a kid who could spend 
hours in your room playing out stories with with action figures? Yeah, I would like take a blanket and stack it on a bunch of pillows, and that would be a mountain. And then I, I had this like van, and I'd get all my GI Joe figures, and they'd have a base over here, and they'd have to go to the mountain and fight these dudes, and you know. Uh, uh, Transformers would come in and fight them, and like I would sit there for like eight hours uh, because my parents had no idea where I was. Um, and uh, they were happy you were quiet, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But yeah, and I would do like long involved, like this person was abducted by this team, and then they have to go rescue them. But when they get there, there's this other mission, and they're doing this, and it would just keep going and going. And I would, I would go to bed and then like pick up the story when I wake up, woke up the next day, and like do more of it. So uh, I had issues. It's, but you're doing the same thing, right? It's kind like, of sad. It feels the same. <laughs> Listen, now they're paying you for it. <laughs> that part's nice. Yeah. Um, is there anything you are watching on television, anything you're reading, uh, comics or books that you're reading that's really getting you inspired and excited these days? Yeah. Um, I'm really excited about the return of Game of Thrones. I mentioned that. That's really, um, really liking that. Uh, I think that this season of Sons of Anarchy is getting a bunch of crap. But uh, I don't know. I see a bunch of people online, like, n- another shark-jumping moment. And I'm just like, what are you talking about? Like, that's totally awesome. Uh, I think that I love how zany that show is. It's also cool that it's like a, it's a biker show, and I think more people die on that show than in The Walking Dead. Um, which, uh, uh, yeah, I've said that in the writer's room before. What are we doing? There's more people dying on Sons of Anarchy. What's the matter with these people? Um, but, uh, uh, but, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think about what I want. Uh, I watch Survivor. I like saying that because a bunch of people don't expect that. But uh, it's a bunch of people on an island, like, like acting like they're starving, and then when the cameras go away, someone's feeding them food or something. I'm, I'm sure it's completely fake, but uh, it's entertaining. Um, I watch tons of shows. I don't know why I'm blanking on things. Uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I'm watching that right now. That's totally amazing. Um, reading, uh, reading Saga. Various comics. I just bought that Untold uh, Tales of Marvel, that tell-all like book. I'm, I, I hear it's good. I haven't started it yet, but uh, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, movies. Adventure Time. I'm watching that with my kids. So yeah, that's a good one. Where were you guys yes. when uh, Penn Ward was here? Here, here. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, movies? Are you watching movies? I do. I just saw I just saw Silver Linings Playbook. I just watched uh, Celeste and Jesse Forever, or whatever the hell that movie is. Mm-hmm. I you recommend I, these. Yeah, they're pretty good. Both of them are pretty good. I just saw uh, Skyfall. Skyfall is uh, is awesome. Everybody loves it. I saw somebody tweeted, uh, was it Damon Lindelof? That was like, if someone had told me Skyfall was a cross between Dark Knight and Home Alone, and that I would like it, I wouldn't have <laughs> believed them. But uh, but yeah. I enjoyed it, but I will say that last bit at the end, I was like, are we really doing this right now? Is she putting screws in a light bulb, and they're putting bullets under a board, and they couldn't get anyone to help them? Anyone at all? Have you not seen it? You haven't seen it? Oh, my God. James Bond dies. It is nuts. Fine. It's time for someone to reboot that. Um, Are there any Skybound books you want to talk about? No. (laughs) We've got a book called Clone coming out that uh, is really... uh, It's a guy named David Schulner that's writing it. Oh, really? uh, Yeah. Uh, Did you know the guys who are writing the comic with him are here? Say hi. Really? Hi there. (laughs) Hey! How's it going? It's going good. Yeah? It's going to be great, right? Awesome, yes. Uh, David Schulner, who's a TV writer who you can download the podcast. He was on one of the, like, first 15 podcasts. He's great. Listen to it. Very talented guy. A guy named Juan Jose Rip is drawing it, so I'm really excited about that. It's a very grounded uh, sci-fi book, so uh, 
It's pretty neat. That's fun. Uh, and then we got a new Witch Doctor launching uh, the same month, this month. Uh, have you guys read Witch Doctor? You. Yeah? Check it out. It's really fun. I really like it. Um, and Thief of Thieves, what's going on? Are you, like, show running this book? How does it work? In a sense, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, I guess that that would be the way to put it. I mean, I, I have an overarching story that I've laid out, and then uh, I work with the writers to flesh out each different story arc. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, and we keep bringing in new people. And, you know, we have meetings where we uh, go over the story and, and, and have, like, a writer's room. So that's, that's kind of cool. That is neat. But uh, I don't actually have to write the scripts myself, which is totally awesome. Uh, but yeah, and, I'll, and I'll, I'm eventually planning on coming in and doing an arc myself uh, when I get the time. But it's kind of fun, you know, having this comic and being able to. One of the things that really struck me about the writing process in television that I really enjoyed was the fact that, you know, I have my experiences and my skills, and you know, I have what I do. But when you're in a room with a bunch of other people, you know, you can throw out ideas, and then they can use their experiences to build on that idea. Idea and it ends up, you know, going around the room and getting, you know, added to, and you get a much richer, more developed story because you're kind of doing it as a team. And uh, that's not really done a lot in comics. I mean, from time to time it is, but I thought it would be kind of fun to, you know, say, hey, I've got this comic about these thieves and they do this stuff, and it'd be really cool if, you know, this happened. And then having other people go, no, it'd be better if this happened. And then being like, shut up. Um, and also, also, uh, I really, I had the concept. I really wanted to do. It, but I don't. I don't think working out like complicated heists would be very fun. And so I was like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll get somebody else to write that stuff. <laughs> sure, they're smarter characters. Exactly. Uh, uh, it's a great book, and the first collection is out, and you guys should check that out. Too. Yeah, Nick Spencer wrote that one, did an amazing job, and then really Sean fun. Martinborough draws it. He's very talented. It's a good uh, book. And the, and the new arc is just starting too, right? Yep. Like, yeah. Well, I think we're like a couple issues into it. James Asmus, he was just yeah. here. He's great. Um, thank you so much. Uh, please give a round of applause okay. to Robert Kirkman. Thanks to everyone here at Nerdist Industries and Meltdown Comics and to 826LA. Now leaving Nerdist.com.